I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? If you're enjoying the podcast, then you might want to check out some of the other things I'm working on behind the scenes. I put out a weekly newsletter called Momentum Monday, which is just a quick synthesis of everything I've been reading, listening to, and watching during the week. I also do a once-a-month deep dive called The Distillery, which is a long-form distillation on someone whose thinking has greatly impacted me. You can check out past distillations of Josh Waitskin, Yen Liao, and Nick Konis, and everything else we're putting on at whatgotyouthere.com. Hey guys, it's Sean, and today is our special 300th episode where we're going to be doing something slightly different. So after five plus years with me interviewing and trying to deconstruct world-class high performers and achievers, I'm actually going to be the one interviewed. And so when I was thinking about this episode, there wasn't anyone I would rather have do this than Dr. Michael Gervais. He's a high-performance psychologist who's been working in the trenches of high-stakes environments with some of the best in the world, both in business and athletics, for years now. And he's someone who's really helped me over the years, who's shaped my trajectory. So I thought this would be really, really fun if he interviewed me, just like he does on his incredible Finding Mastery podcast, to deconstruct some of the mindsets, how I behave, why I am like I am, and some of the things I've learned over five plus years and 300 episodes on the podcast. So get ready to hear a little bit more about me, which is something I usually don't open up about on the podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy. And also, I just need to thank everyone who's ever lent me their ears, who's read a transcript, who's been part of this incredible What Got You There community. I love being able to do this episode or do this show every single week and learn from high achievers and deconstruct world-class high performance. But when I get to connect with the community, it means the world to me. And the support I've received from everyone over the years has just meant so much. So I just wanted to thank you. After five plus years and 300 episodes, thanks for being part of this community, guys. I am thrilled to tell you about my new online personal growth course called You Unleashed. You Unleashed is for those people looking to burst through the walls of their previous limitations and fears and tap into their greater potential, or what I call your You Unleashed self. This course is a culmination of the best things I've learned being a professional athlete, entrepreneur, investor, and spending thousands of hours sitting down with world-class performers on this podcast to uncover what you need to raise your potential to a new level. This course is going to give you clarity of what an extraordinary life looks like and who you need to become in order to achieve that life. Now, I'll provide you with the mindsets, behaviors, and actions you need to bring out your unleashed self. You'll uncover your deeper why, your values, and your life philosophy that will guide you moving forward. So the question is, why haven't you unleashed your full potential yet? You only get one shot at this life, so what are you waiting for? You're meant to become extraordinary. We all are. So if you're interested in stepping into your potential and cultivating the type of life you've been dreaming of, then check out my You Unleashed course by clicking below or going to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed and because you listen to the podcast i'm giving you 50 percent off the entire course for a limited time by using code wgyt that's what got you there.com forward slash you dash unleashed and use code wgyt for 50 percent off so you you are a planner 
right? Like you think and discern before you measure twice, cut once? Measure 10 times. 10 times, right. And then in that measurement process, um, no doubt this is going to map onto how you became a very skilled lacrosse player, you know, and had success there. But the measuring many times, and then you anchor it with being visual, and then you anchor it with thinking more than feeling. And so this is part of your maybe um, less observable way that you practice, mm-hmm. is that you're a thinker, you're a planner, and you like to be well prepared. And I think accuracy is really important for you. Does that mean anxiety and perfectionism are part of the play or, um, or I'm off tune there? No, I'll just kind of speak what comes to mind and let you, like you might view it differently than how I think about it. Where I think of anxiety, I guess, anytime I put something out, right? Like even this episode, there's just gonna be that cringe inside of me. I, there, there's been very few moments in my life probably where I've been like, that was, that met expectations and I feel awesome about that. Um, so who's yeah. Expe- I, whose expectations? Mine, internal. Um, and people say that, but they learn, we learn expectations and standards. So who did you learn yours from? Good question. Um, I think, I mean, everything for me probably started with my parents and there were certain defining moments that I saw that were just, I still remember today, like very vividly early on things that my parents did that it was like, oh, that's really important to me. Did you just drop into your heart a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You can hear it in my voice, right? Like voice mm-hmm. changed. Um, I'm thinking about a moment with my mom. So we're in Baltimore, the Baltimore Mall. I forget the exact name of it. I was probably four, four or five maybe. Crowded food court, just having lunch, you know, some fast food thing. And all of a sudden there's a table, there's some commotion going at it. And it's a father literally like verbally abusing the hell out of this kid. He's got two young kids there. Boom, my mom jumps up. So she's got four kids. My dad's not with us right there. She gets in this guy's face and is basically like, you talk to that kid again, there's gonna be some serious trouble here. My mom's like five, five. It's not like she's like some huge woman or something. Um, and then she, she's in this guy's face. Like you never, ever talk to that kid like that. Literally stood up to him. This goes on for a minute or two, ends up getting a cop. And I was like, whoa, like there's 300 people in this food court. 150 of them are males way bigger than my mom that could have done that. She did it. So there's moments like that when you ask about like who set foundation. I like I see things like that, and it's like whoa, I'm 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 never being the same after that. How did that change you? You got to when you know something's right, you got to stand up for it. And believe me, that was not the only time I I saw my mom do this at school with mean teachers to to kids when dropping your kids off, and she gets out of the car and she like and it's like holy shit, like okay all right, if this woman's doing that, then like I need to speak my truth when I know it's true. And so just kind of saw that from an early age. How are you doing with that in your life as a first principle that your heritage has passed on to you? The, the heritage or that? The first principle, speaking truth to power. It feels, it feels really good. You're I don't doing well. You're doing well with that in your life? Well, I think any time that, for those moments, right? Like there's gonna be confrontation at some point on the other side. And so I think, random example, like that teacher or that man in that food court, they don't wanna hear that. 
but there are certain things that I can live with bringing up something like that if it seems wrong. Um, so internally, uh, yeah, I, I, I do feel good about that. And in your podcast, you know, in the 299 before this, do you speak truth to the perceived power that the other person on the podcast? I, I, it's funny. I, I really don't talk very much like at all in yeah. the podcast, like at all. It's funny. Like this conversation alone <laughs> will probably have more words from me than all three or 299 other ones. Should um, we stop now? We should stop. Da, da, da. stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. So if somebody says something on the podcast, uh, is just a, you know, a platform, but that you fundamentally disagree with, will you try to learn from that? Or you say, Hey, uh, Mrs. X or Mr. X, like I, I see this so differently. Yeah. I would probably say I see it differently, but try to learn from it. Right. There's been too many times that I've been completely wrong in, in a decision, in a way of thinking that, if I hadn't been open enough to explore their way of thinking, then, then I wouldn't be seeing clearer today. And so, yeah, I always try to come from that position of like, what can this moment teach me? What is this person going to teach me? And try to explore their ideas. There you go. Okay. And then how old were you, did you say, when you were in the food court? Yeah, I mean, this would have been five, like four or five, maybe six. Do you remember your experience as a five-year-old in that moment or before when the, when the um, aggression was being displayed? Unease, kind of like, mm -hmm. whoa. Like my mm -hmm. parents had never treated me like, what's going, like you could feel like that's not supposed to be happening. And it was just like, whoa, kind of like my father's not there. So probably somewhat scared, uneasy and like what's happening here? Where like my world just didn't feel stable. Yeah, there you go. Very cool for mom to stand up. How about that? Did that scare you more or did that, um, did you start to feel emboldened? Yeah, it's funny, Mike. So I mentioned my mom's like five, five, like, man, though, <laughs> like, this is funny. Even when I was playing sports, I was like, I was, I mean, I had 20 pounds of muscle more than I do now. Like, so I was like very strong every time though. <laughs> like I could, I could be like 20 years old. And I was like, damn, man, this woman has some strength. So I think like early on even, I always just was like, man, like if someone broke into our house, I was like, man, I'm going to feel bad for that person because Joan Delaney is literally going to bring the force on them. There's such a difference between emotional strength, mental strength, and physical. Yeah. And physical is so observable that people, um, you know, like if you can't get past that, then you never get to know the other, you rarely do you get to know the other sides, you know, the emotional, yeah. mental. But if you had to pick, being someone physically strong or emotionally strong or mentally strong, I bet I know your answer. Oh, 100. But it's funny, Mike, because if you asked me this 10 years ago, I'm, I'm going physical, where now I realize emotional is, it's not even comparable. So how are you learning and hydrating the idea of emotional strength from your interviews and from the podcast? So where I operate from, I feel like everything begins with awareness. Like if I'm not even aware of where I'm flawed in how I handle certain emotions, I'm not gonna be able to improve it or improve it in the way I want to. And so I really try to think deeply and that, and when I say think deeply, I, I literally mean like sitting there thinking deeply about different behaviors and, and different reactions and what I've just experienced over time 
is then when I behave in a way or show an emotional reaction to something that's not in alignment with who I want to be, something internally I can feel it. Where in the past, the the feedback loop on that would have been way longer, right? Like you'd be, I'd be upset for days or whatever, and then it's like, all right, let me explore this a bit further. Where now certain moments, like you can feel it in the moment. And that, mm -hmm. I don't know, just started with awareness and then trying to really focus deeply on that. Because like I, like I said a minute ago, something I really do think about deeply and I feel like I have for a long time is really like, not what do I want, but who do I want to be? And when I'm out of alignment with that, and that took a really long time and that's, that's continuing to evolve to get clear on that, but I can like feel it now. Um, so that's, that's like a, a really core indicator for me. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that's the big work, you know, it, interesting. Do you mind if I pick the eyes out of something real quick? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You said when I recognize when I'm flawed with something, it's an interesting choice of words. Um, you know, as if there's only a small part of you that's flawed. <laughs> And even the idea that, um, you know, flaws is an interesting model to view yourself through and as opposed to um, a whole myriad of other ways that you could think about the parts of you that um, have not yet been refined hmm. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, like there's a flaw. And so I'm wondering if this is a um, Judeo-Christian approach that you come from which is, um, you know, folks don't necessarily like to talk about this when it comes to these two religions, but there's, a, there's three ways that we come into the world according to a philosophical um, argument or position, if you will. There's tabula rasa, we come into this world blank slate, and then it's up to our, you know, us and our, our environments to shape us. We come in flawed, evil little beings that need forgiveness and baptism to get to heaven, right? So this is, unfortunately, and most, most Christians, I, I, I grew up in that faith as well, like they say, no, 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 we're not born evil. Well, what, how do you, why do you need baptism to get into the pearly gates? Hmm. Right, okay, so there's a, there's a dilemma in there. Or the third is that we're born good, inherently good. And so I'm wondering... Uh, when you use the flawed approach, I'm wondering if you have um, an orientation to one of those three models, those philosophical models of uh, how humans are born. Yeah, it's funny because you said, I think through things a lot and I'm probably very calculated. The, the word flawed, honestly, like the more you deconstructed that, I'm like, uh, you kind of just rolled off the tongue where I hadn't thought about it enough, where the the Christian model you brought up, I don't think about that at all. Like, I don't feel like, I, I'm repenting some sin here or something like it, that model and just kind of baffles me a bit. So that doesn't resonate. So when I said flawed, it had nothing to do in, in conjunction with that. Um, yeah, yeah, I kind cool. of- So, so yeah. go, go to the, one of those three, like what position would you take when you look, now that you have a, you know, a son and when you philosophically think about all newborns? Yeah. It's tough, cause I, I wanna go to this, the third one, to be honest with you. But then I think about some of those things, right? Like a serial killer. And I'm, I'm picturing, I'm looking at my son and I'm like, what did that serial killer look like when he was three and a half years old? And so I'm curious about that in terms of like what we came here with, like past programming and stuff like that. But genuinely, I do feel like there is more natural goodness in each of us. Um, and I think a lot of times or over time that gets clouded 
um, sometimes pushed out of us, beaten out of us. Um, but I do think humans operate more from a, a positive good state. Hmm. And then talk about that perfectionism. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea where that comes from. It's funny too, because I, I would love for you to deconstruct this because I do say that it feels really internally driven because the people who I respect deepest in my life, they, there were times where they were just, they couldn't have been prouder, and, but it still hadn't met my internal expectation. And so that's when I say it's like internally driven, like uh, that's, that's what it feels like. And I don't know, like, I just feel like, I think you discover things within yourself and other people where it's just like, whoa, like a human, a person was capable of that. And so for me, it's not this, it's not this like sad thing when it doesn't meet expectation. It's like, yeah, man, there's more there. And it's like, hell yeah, like let's keep searching for that. Let's keep pushing to see that. And so to me, it's like an excitement phase, I guess. And when you think, when, well, the deconstructing, de deconstructed nature here, it's not a simple path, but the, the guiding thought here is that where do we learn standards from? You know, mm. people like to say, oh, it's for myself. Uh, and expectations. Standards and expectations are a little different, but they, they can ring around the same key. But where do we learn them from? Um, it's from others, you know, mm. for the most part. And because, you know, what, like your, your young child, and I've got an adolescent child right now, uh, they are looking for their, from their, their elders, from their environment, like, is that... Is that what we're talking about? Like, is this? And so I, I say to my, my son all the time, like, we have high standards. Your, your, your mother and I have really high standards in our life. And we have a certain way that we embrace the growth arc, you know? And so we have high standards from a value standpoint. And we have high standards to um, the effort to apply oneself towards whatever task is at hand. And that task could be something as benign as listening in a conversation, or I should say as deep as listening in a conversation to washing the dishes, you know, whatever it might be. And, and then I say all the time as well is that um, you're, you are going to share your standards with us. And then when we understand them, we will help you hold to those so that mm -hmm. you can become more attuned to the standards to be able to experience um, the upper reaches of your potential. And he looks at me and goes, dad, stop. <laughs> you know, and he laughs and it's like, you know, and so, um, and I don't say it so dramatically to him, you know, uh, but, uh, all that being said is that we, we learn it from somewhere. And so, uh, I think one of the great gifts we can give our children is for them to work from the inside out hmm. and not from the outside in. Um, okay. So all that being said, a little bit of, uh, you know, high standards, high expectations for yourself. There's a bit of anxiety in there. There's a bit of perfectionism in there. Um, and then you've added a, another note, which is like, you're really excited about what comes next. So if, can you paint, um, on this canvas, like what three or six years looks from now? I'm like, I'm just trying to, I, th I was thinking about this word a lot, like at the start of the new year and that's around quality. And so like, you can go into like Robert Persig's Zen of the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance and like how he thinks about quality. And so I was like, there's, there's a handful of things to get back to depth earlier in our conversation. There's a handful of things. There's a handful of people 
that if I really explore, even over the arc of my life, seems to be golden threads that I want to put more effort, attention, and focus towards because those derive the most meaning for me. And so when I think about fast forwarding five, six years, I'm hoping to cultivate and develop those to a deeper level. Like we even mentioned my wife, Kelsey, like I want to explore even further our relationship. And then with my boys, right? Like the connection I have with them, like I I was really fortunate. I had had a very good father um, that I, I just feel really connected with. And so there's been certain models I've had that I've looked to and it's like, wow, like when you see them, how they interact when their child is, is 20, 25, it's like, that's what I'm going for. Like that to me is really important. So I'm really laser focused on some of those right now. Have you put language to those values that you're working from? Yeah. So I, I do a lot of just, I don't know, call it self-reflection and stuff. So I have like different documents that I've, yeah, I've written all this out. Um, And that probably started a lot from like kind of a a fast forward type experiment, just like internal thought experiment of like, what does it look like when I'm 80? And like I said, very visual. So playing that out like a movie and thinking deeply on that. And then just kind of how I operate. What I think about is I want to collapse time. So what I mean by that is, okay, I know what I want to look like when I'm 80. And so there's certain things that like just are going to take time to get to, but there's plenty of mindsets, behaviors that you can embody in this present moment that if you do that, you are acting as if that future self. And so when I think about roles with relationships, um, even to talk about like emotional control, it's like who, who likes being around someone who can't control their temper and stuff? And so when I think about collapsing time, I, I like deeply thought on those moments and then who I try to embody right now. What's the emblem that you're working from for an 80-year-old? So I, this, is, this has been a, a reoccurring picture movie that is, has played out. And it's someone who, I, I, I love nature and being around nature. That's part of it. Um, not the most important element, but surrounded by family. And not like one of those tense families. It's like, there's a slowness to it, right? Like we're not jumping up to go do something to be somewhere else. We're deeply present, like, you know, filled with laughter. We're there in that moment. We're not on phones. We're not doing all these, it's like, this is the best thing. And so that, that movie plays again and again. And so I think about who I need to be in order for that to actually take place in the future. So nobody does it alone. It's an axiom that I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about, but it's like, I'm so certain that nobody, not individual athletes, contributors, artists, like nobody does it alone. So if that is a statement that you would nod your head to, then how would you hope your community, um, the what got you there community could play a part in helping you? Hmm. This might be a bigger theme and this probably won't be helping me. So push back if this is not, but it's like, I think these, these, these conversations, your podcast, you were having conversations before I ever started this show that I heard people articulate things that I had felt myself. I had never heard articulated that way. I finally put language to feeling. And so that opened up new things. And then even just like other things like training techniques, stuff like that had been so influential. And because of a conversation you, Mike, were having years ago, 
I am different and I am different for, for Kelsey, for my boys, for other people in my family. And so to me, like, I really do think about like, how do I grow as an individual so that the other people in my life, and that's including the, the What Got You There community, can learn from that and then also grow in their own lives. And so it's just like, you gotta, my, my learning curve, I think really sped up when I really went from like theory to practice, where I'd hear a conversation with you, Mike, and it wasn't like, man, that's a really cool thing. That's an interesting take. It's like, no, no, no. Let's, let's figure out how we can deconstruct this and then really build it up mm. into our own framework to live it. And so I would hope the community is doing that. Like they're enjoying the conversations, it's entertaining, but like, let's go further, right? Like depth over breath on that. And it's like, how do we explore some of these really good takeaways? I've had a lot of people reach out and they're like, man, that, uh, that conversation with XYZ, I had like, the, it was like, oh man, I wish I was like taking all these notes. And I'm kind of like, well, why weren't you? Like, let's go further on it. So I'd ask the community, like, do that, right? Like, there's probably a person that you want to become or that there's certain things in the back of your head you're working towards. So it's like, let's start collapsing time and, and trying to learn from the lessons of people on this show and then start living that. It's, I mean, to, to be honest with you, Mike, that's really important for me. Yeah, I think that what's missing here, though, is you being, um, you are taking a position in the community, but also um, creating the space for them to hold you to standard. You know, like, you know, Sean, okay, great. Uh, we, we need help here, here, and here. Or Sean, when you, when you say this, um, it doesn't take me anywhere. Like, hmm. have you, you know, like getting better and having the, the people that, um, really are wanting to be part of your community, giving them the voice to hold the standard would be one way, mm. you know, they are coaches as well. And so, um, and at the same time, there's a noise to um, signal ratio that's really important because um, not everybody in your community uh, has a highly accurate <laughs> reference point for what good is, you know? Yeah. So, um, and no, I'm not speaking to you right now. <laughs> okay, so let's toggle. You talked about your first principles and um, now let's kind of flip on the other side of it. What is it that you are afraid of? Yeah. And I don't say that glibly. Like I, I know that the, it just seems so surfacey to say it that way, but if you get really honest with yourself, what is it that you're afraid of? When I think about this, I, my mind truly goes to what I was talking about earlier, where I have this expectation, um, this potential within us all. And I think the majority of us never seek that potential within ourselves. So there's that line that hell is like seeing the version of yourself that you could have been and not being that. So I, don't, I, I think about that, right? Like it's incredible what we're capable of. And to think that I'm not going to use that potential scares me. Okay. So then the skills that you use to become great at lacrosse, what were some of those skills? And what was the level that you had of success um, in lacrosse? Uh, so, yeah, I feel like I, I felt like there was a level I reached that was, I mean, there was a handful of people on the planet, um, multi-year college All-American, top 10 professional draft pick. Um, so it was definitely like at that elite, elite level. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there, there's commonalities amongst the, right, like almost this this obsession, but it wasn't, I don't say that in like a negative way. Like I just freaking loved the sport where I, I really viewed this as this internal pull. Like I coached a lot afterwards. So I saw so many parents try to push kids and you could see it, they just didn't want it. It was like my parents never one time ever had to push me. 
it was just like maniacally obsessed with it. Like I just, I couldn't get enough of training, playing. I just loved it all. And like in, internally even, like I mentioned visual, like I was visualizing while I was playing. I, this wasn't as clear to me till a few years later how entrenched I was in the visual experience while I was practicing. And so that was really helpful for me, I think. Um, even about, we, we talked about like emotional control. I loved, I, you'll probably push back because I know there, there's like no big moments. I loved if there was like 10 seconds left. We had, This was in college and uh, we called a play. There was like 20 seconds left. It was going to go to me. And then the other team called the timeout. And the first thing I said to my coach, go, you better not fucking change that play. Like it was like, no, no, no. Like I want this. Um, and so that for like, I tried to, something I, I thought about all the time younger, and this will tie into what I was saying a second ago is I forget who said this, if it was a football player or what, but it was somebody is going to watch me play today that has never seen me play. And I want to leave an impression on them in case they never watch me play again. And I thought about that like deeply for years at like, this was like every single practice even. Um, and so I think that focus, that commitment, I mean, obviously like consistency is key. There was a handful of days in 20 years that I like was not, didn't have the stick in my hand, wasn't training. Um, so yeah, those are probably a few of the things that come to mind when you ask that. Yeah. So that's interesting. That is high internal and high external drivers. You know, leaving an impression is external and then internal is loving the way it feels to get better. Um, okay. Very cool. And then what do you do? So athletes, um, they have a deep understanding of the work that is required to get better. And for some, it's about you know, the celebration of when it is better. And for some it is, you know, they love the work. Do you, are you more interested in the work or are you more interested in the celebration when all of the work is kind of happening in the way that you hope it would? Yeah, 100% the work. Um, so what this you, is probably a flaw. Yeah, no, no, no. Just, uh, I want to get to the second part of it really quickly, yeah. which is what, what do you do behind the scenes? What do you do? What does your work look like that is not visible to others, you know, because in the world of athletics, like popular athletics, we watch somebody on TV and we're like, oh, look at that. But it's, and then if you could go to practice, you would see something. And then there's, you know, like how the work is done. But then there's other stuff that, that the greats do that most people don't recognize. And so that's, I'm interested in that part of you. So when, when you ask about athletics, where I th what I think about is there'd be these moments where I would be in a similar emotional type state right? Like where pressure could be on the line. Um, this could, this could have been in school or something like that. And so I would think about how I'm feeling with that pressure and how I would handle that on the field. And so I literally looked for like little moments that I could train the sport and the craft where I wasn't on the field or in the training room. So that was something I feel like I tried to do. And it would, like, I just never really talked about that very much, but would do those little types of things. Like what? Um, What's an example? Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a really clear one for this. Um, this could be like really dumb. So like obviously like speed, agility, all that stuff's important. There'd be like classes where like I'd be doing a leg lift for like 45 minutes in a class. This is like in high school or something, right? And then like, I know <laughs> I'm like laughing saying this, it just this sounds corny, but uh, even like how I would get up from a chair, like would think about like, I'm gonna be like literally ultra explosive here and stuff like that. So I looked for like little moments that I could train certain skills that just no one would see or think about. That's um, it. I, that's, I, I love that you're sharing this because this is the, this is the um, near obsessive, 
the uncommon, relentless commitment to figuring it out. And sometimes I do not wish this on people because uh, the, the, it can be tiring and thrilling, you know, but the tiring part is like, whoa, I got to turn, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, every opportunity is I'm trying to make the micro choice to be explosive or smooth or like present or whatever it might be. And how are you doing that in your business now or as a, as a, a parent? Let's yes. Go, I mean, there's go, like, let's go, let's go business on this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's like a few common practices, right? Like I need to be, have an informational type edge in some component, right? With how the business is going to be done to understand that. And so there's like my study practice, the same way I, I approach little physical training in a sport. I now, I view that as like, I need to be like a mental athlete. And so there's components, like you need to have the informational edge of, of what you're trying to understand. Um, you need to know the other side of that. We were talking about that before, right? Like, how do you how do you argue it? Um, I, I, I just learned a lot from like investors. They've been very helpful. Um, so the, these two guys didn't help me. I don't know, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, but they always talk about like, you can't, you can't make an argument until you know the other side just as well. And so in different business approaches, I'm trying to think about that. Like, what's the information I can do? But then also where I think sport, the understanding there is I'm trying to think about how this really aligns with who I am. And that gets back to the push-pull I was talking about before. I couldn't have been a professional basketball player because I didn't have the drive to be a professional basketball player. And so I think there's certain things that align with who I am as a person. And can I show and be that person for the business? where in the past, I probably thought I could do something differently, like even managing a large team. I'm not great managing a large team, even though my ego thought I wanted to do that. I can't do that. So I had to learn from that. And so now it's easy for me to say no to an opportunity where that would come up because I, I think my natural alignment, I would be better suited for having a better impact with smaller teams. Um, so just trying to be aware of those things and then putting more effort towards those because I feel like, I feel like my potential there is just like 10x greater than, as a, I, than if I was trying to manage a large team where I could only get little incremental gains of progress. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it in the business realm. If, if we had a little mosaic of folks that have been influential for you, and I'm, I'm interested in the ones I might know because that might help you know, uh, me here in this part of the question, but who are some of those folks? You mentioned two of them. Your dad and your mom are two more. So you've got four there. Who, who else is on your mosaic? Yeah, it's funny because this was, once again, maybe like five, six, seven. I think it was, I don't even remember. It might've been a Danny DeVito movie and it was called The Renaissance Man. I heard that concept the first time and I go, wait, there's someone who's really, really good at multiple things. That concept from as early as I can remember, I became fascinated by that. So anytime I saw someone achieve success in multiple domains, like I just lit up inside. I was like, that's really cool. And so models and deconstructing people like that are so important to me, but I love finding them all over the place. Like I was watching this Tony Hawk documentary, it's on HBO Max right now. And just like, I was like, hell yeah. Like I just loved hearing about his process and his thinking. And then like a few weeks ago, um, around the momentum surfers, the Kelly Slater and all that, just like understanding what they were doing. And like, so I look for these at any time. There was a Spielberg documentary. I'm not in film filmography, 
but like how he was authentically aligning himself and that was coming out through his movies that I had no idea about before. So I look for those all the time. So like, if you want to know about like the, the, a few staples for me growing up, someone w was Ray Lewis. I know he can be controversial. How he led his commitment, his desire, that internal drive, man, Mike, like for years, I was like eating off that. <laughs> so for folks that maybe don't know Ray Lewis, who's a, a radical competitor in the NFL, a large, imposing, you know, hard-hitting <laughs> football player. How do you get around some of this stuff like that is so outlandish that he says, like, you know, like his energy is incredible. Like, but some of the stuff that I listen to, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you can't say that. And yeah, so, I mean, I, I like, haven't heard I, him I, talk in 10 years. I'm talking about on the field. On the, like, oh, you just, on the field, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, he's come such a far way in the way that he's on TV now. And so, you know, but he, he is a savage competitor. Yeah. My God. So that's the part you, you resonate with. Yeah, when I was when I was first playing lacrosse, so this was fifth grade when I first started. Just before the game, my dad would kind of just like for, he was probably putting me like in a great head state, okay, and he yeah. was like, "It's it's animal time." And I animal just like time. Yeah. I had a t Mike, I had a ton of aggression. I played like football younger too, like there, like I had to channel that aggression. But so like I saw that, and I just loved that. Um, another person, this was really really impactful for me. So the time in the sport, I was in fifth or sixth grade. Uh, the best player in the entire world was this guy, Casey Powell. He played at Syracuse. He was like a four-time All-American. I got to see him in one of his summer games. And my dad's like, that's Casey Powell. Let's run up there. Let's go get a picture. So my dad embarrasses the hell out of me. We go get this picture with Casey Powell. Casey says, hold on a second. He runs over to his bag, brings out his custom lacrosse gloves, which is like a huge deal. And he just gifts them to me. And so I still have this picture. It's funny because now Casey and I know each other. Casey's even been on the show. We, we've hung out a number of times. But that, that moment that that guy was the most important person outside of my family in my entire life at that time. And not only did he sh do the picture, sign an autograph, he did something so special for me. So I realized the impact, singular moments and people that we look up to, how they can shape our trajectory. So I never forgot that. So if I ever was in a position where another kid or a person looked up to me, even a small way similar to that, I need to show up like Casey Powell does. And so he was both the embodiment of what I looked for in a player, but then also his character. I thought it was just incredible. That's very cool. All right, cool. Yeah. Anyone else come to mind uh, on the, like, sh the short list? Unfortunately, like I, I'm too curious. I literally could go on and on and on. Um, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Oh, that's very cool. Okay, so is it, if you were to categorize it, if you would like as a heat map, is it more um, athletic? Is it more spiritual leaders? Is it more business leaders? Is it more human, uh, I want to say humanitarians. That's <laughs> not a word. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Humanitarians? Like what, what would be the, uh, the heat, what would, how would that heat map look like if we had a Muslim? Yeah, early on it would have been um, athletes completely. And then I, I, I'd been involved and really interested in entrepreneurship. And so that then took over a huge component of my life. And then I started to realize that how I was expressing myself as a lacrosse player, this was after I was done playing, I was viewing it as an art form. I just couldn't put words to that. So then I got really interested in creative acts. So I got obsessed around creatives. Um, and then there also is like Eastern philosophy thrown in there. But now it's funny, it's like coming back again full circle mm -hmm. to the athletic mindset. And now I can, I can understand where they're not just approaching their sport like a sport. 
they're approaching it like out of craft and love. Um, I was listening to Rodney Mullen the other day. He's a, one of the greatest street skateboarders of all time. And the Dude, way- Hold he, on, I, hold on. Rodney, I would, I would skate as a young kid growing up in Southern California. I'd skate about three miles. I grew up surfing, skating, and, um, and I'd sit on the hill. Rodney would only come out like at midnight. Yeah, and my folks. Yeah, my folks had no idea, <laughs> you know. But I would skate down to the spot that I knew he would, and I, and so he and I connected as adults. And he's like, "You were that kid." I was like, "Yeah, I was that kid." <laughs> so Rodney that is, awesome. is a legend. Yeah. So you're. Yeah. you're I, I need to circle back with him. Like, okay, so you learn. What did you learn from Rodney? He. So he was talking about just. This gets back to the push and pull. Mm-hmm. Like he was like when you so just purely love something. He's like, there, there's depths you can go to with that. And th- he was talking about skating. And that's how I, I realized that, oh, I kind of think about this as you look at like the greatest coaches. I, I know you're close with Coach Carroll. Look at like a Phil Jackson. Look at a Bill Belichick. All completely different. But they're all being them. And I feel like hearing Rodney talk about, he was speaking his truth. Even if it wasn't someone else's truth, it was his truth. And so that for me now, like realizing that again in athletics, I just thought it was really cool because I can understand it better at this point in my life. Very cool. So everything that you are learning and applying and the man you're working on becoming uh, both as, you know, a family man as well as a business person, how are, how is your course going? How is like, how's the business side of what you're doing working? Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, I really feel like I just love what I get to do every day. And that to me is really, really important. Um, and so, yeah, just continue to like. What is the course experience for somebody who wants to learn? So my, my actual course, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's called You Unleashed. And so it really is, is just kind of taking all of the lessons I've learned throughout the years around how do you tap into your higher potential? So I think about that in terms of like, first off, we're building a foundation, right? Like, I mentioned awareness and getting clarity on like who you want to become and like what you're trying to go after and the decisions you're going to make are going to be based on, on those underlying values, those principles to use your language, Mike, that this was really helpful that you got out of me. It was my life philosophy Mm -hmm. and thinking about that. But then there's also these different mindsets and certain behaviors that we can embody that help us tap into more of what we're capable of. And so obviously like, yeah, so it's, this, this gets back to what I was saying a second ago around like, Rodney was speaking his truth. Um, I felt like really deeply aligned where it was like, it felt just so freaking like I had to get it out of me. It wasn't like, oh, this is something like I, I'm gonna do or I wanna do. It was like, I, I, I had to, I had to sit down and put this out. Um, and so I really try to do things that are aligned like that, where it's this, <laughs> this probably sounds odd. Somebody, it's like a deep inner calling. That's like, yeah, this really feels what you're compelled to do in this moment. And that's what it say- was for me. Did you say calling or calm? Calling. So a deep inner calling. And then yeah. it sounds like you're meditating or journaling, but are, are, are those the two practices or do you have other practices to get clear? And maybe you don't yeah. do either of those. I think you said journaling earlier. Yeah, yeah, I sit down. Um, I try to like give myself that free time. Uh, I do a lot of breath work. So I do a, a, a breath work routine. It takes about 10 minutes every single morning. That kind of helps put me in that meditative type state. I also do a lot of like lay down visualization as a full sensory experience, um, even like for a a speech or a conversation like this one. Um, So I do that a lot. Um, And I think that helps me out um, 
I think it does. If I feel like it, it's really been helpful for me. And then yes, also trying to spend more time in that silence, in that stillness, because the more I've done that, I feel like I've been more aligned with who I want to be as a person and what to go after. Very cool. And when you're lying down and doing your imagery, is are you seeing yourself in the future being the person you want to be? Yeah, there's times uh, doing that. There's um, I'll, I'll even use it for actual workouts where I'm literally thinking about like the workouts. But yes, to to the question around like fast forwarding, I'm so I, I don't know if I, I, I do it both ways. I am doing it where I'm like a drone above watching that, but then also in the experience as well. Yeah, yeah, but I, not the research is not clear if there's yeah. A, I kind of I'll toggle between the two. Yeah, I would say instead of. Well, if you're fast toggling, it might get in the way of the feeling. And the feeling is the big word that you're looking for or the experience that you're looking for is to feel what it feels like to be at your best later. And so if you're toggling back and forth quickly, it's like, I think that the feeling becomes, at least for me and you know, athletes and executives I work with that, that they, that they send, tend to say that the feeling uh, gets diluted. So if you can stay in one frame yeah. of reference for a while, and then like flip over to the other, I think that you might find, and maybe you're doing that already. Yeah, I try, I try to do the slow toggle, um, slow toggle as opposed yeah, to a quick, yeah. Yeah, cool. Sean, this is awesome. Um, I am honored to be able to uh, spend this time and to understand more, and uh, I'm grateful that you've um, asked me to be part of it. And you know, your community is strong and vibrant, and I love that you have taken best practices across your lifespan, but also the 300 uh, uh, conversations you've had on the podcast, and then to turn that into a course. And then I, I know that you're also investing in products and uh, small businesses as well. So how's that part of you going? Yeah, no, I, lo I love that. Um, being able to connect with others. And I, th I think it's kind of like one of the core things is helping others even see the potential within themselves for their business, for themselves. Uh, it's funny, like, Early on, I probably would have been trying to be more strategy. And then just the reoccurring theme is within all the businesses, I'm an advisor and investor. And they're like, no, 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 you're like, you almost, I almost feel like this is more like a therapist type role um, as opposed to like strategy. So funny. for me, that's like, yeah. love, that's fun. I love connecting with the, those people and kind of seeing what we're all capable of. Awesome. Sean, love it. I'm wishing you the absolute best in what you're doing. And again, thank you for including me and uh, wishing you continued success. Mike, there's no one else I would have rather have to do this. So thanks so much, man. I appreciate this. Oh, what an honor. Thank you. You guys made it to the end of another episode of What Got You There? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.